And God, tonight on Good Friday, tonight is a night that we stare into the jaws of that powerful and profound mystery, the day that God died. God, tonight is a night that it looks like you are losing because you lost so much. You lost your son. But as all of heaven held its breath, when hope looked lost, God, you started counting back from three. Jesus, in your holy name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. On Sunday mornings here at Encounter, we've been doing a series called The Last Word, where we take a look at the final words of Jesus on the cross. And it's with the understanding that you can tell a lot about somebody's life by the words that they shared just before they died. And tonight is a little different, though. Because tonight we're just not, we're not just telling something about the life of Jesus. We're, we're actually hearing from him about how to live ours with, again, hearing from some of his last and final words. What we're going to hear him tonight tell us is, is his most important lesson that he had to teach us. That he's going to teach us tonight with these words that we're going to look at. He's going to teach us how to love He's going to teach us what love looks like. He's going to teach us about how to love each other. He's going to teach us about how to love God and how to accept the love of God in our lives. There's something about love, though, is that, is that to understand love, you don't, you don't see it and you don't appreciate it so much when, when the skies are clear and the road is smooth. You, you see love most clearly, you experience love most deeply in the difficult seasons, in agony, and even in pain. And so tonight, when we gather around the foot of the cross and we can see the agony, the pain, the difficult season that Jesus was in, we see love poured out. So let's do that. We go to the foot of the cross and we can see the pain and the agony that Jesus was in. We can, we can see it two ways. The first way is in his forsakenness. The first way is, is seeing that everybody around him had left, had abandoned, had denied him or had betrayed him, as we heard earlier. But as if that wasn't enough, it was his, his heavenly father's presence taken away from him that hurt most. Those words, those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time he prayed, he prayed to his dad, he prayed to his father. This time was different because this time was the only time since the beginning of time that his heavenly father was not with him. When he calls out, it's just silence. He's abandoned, he's alone. That's the first way, but there's this, there's, there's this physical torment. The, the fact that his, his, his back was, was bleeding, his face was tear-soaked, and his beard was ripped off from his face. There was an Arizona State University professor who published some of the medical journey that Jesus would have been on from experiencing some of this, and he writes about the searing pain as tissue was torn from Jesus' lacerated back as he moved up and down against the rough timber, experiencing intermittent asphyxiation. 
trying to catch a breath. And then another agony began, a deep crushing pain in his chest. The the pericardium, this tissue around his heart, slowly began filling with serum, filling with this coagulated blood and began to compress his heart. His heart from the loneliness around was heavy. His heart from the, the tissue around his heart what was pressurized and sat heavy. The heart of Jesus was heavy on that cross. And at that point, no doubt, he knew his time grew short. And with a little time left, he shares these words from John 19, verse 25. Our passage tonight, where he says that, John writes, near the cross of Jesus stood four people. His mother... His mother's sister, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, four women. Verse 26, and when Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, a fifth person, John was there. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, to John, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, it, it, it provides housing for his mom. And the word that we're looking at tonight, a woman, here is your son. On the one hand, it looks like all he's simply doing is providing a place to stay for his mom. And it worked. John was a disciple of love. He took care of the mother of Jesus. He took care of Mary. Of course he would. We wouldn't expect anything else. There was a house outside of Jerusalem that John probably uh, housed her in at some point. She probably moved along with him to modern-day Turkey, Ephesus, where he finished out his missionary journey. Listen, listen, Mary and her sister, Mary, gathering at the foot of the cross, watching her son die. She is not the bright-eyed, hope-filled teenager she was when the angel visited her and told her that she's going to be the mother of God. No, now she's around 50 years old. She's experienced a whole lot of agony being the mother of Jesus. She's gathered here, and she's a widow, most likely, having lost her husband. There's nobody to take care of her. And and Jesus, and Jesus, it it looks like it's just just taking care of a little housekeeping. And so some people think that this is maybe a throwaway line, that Jesus is taking care of a little business that, honestly, he probably should have gotten to while he was still alive and well. He should have written the will. But now with a little time left, he wants to take care. He wants to make sure that his widow mom is taken care of. He was the oldest, after all, and so it was his responsibility. Woman, here is your son. In other words, John, take care of my mom, which John did. But listen, there's so much more going on than just looking after the 11 or 12 years that Mary had left. We see, we see a glimpse into the heart of God looking at his people with with compassion, with concern, with with kindness, making sure that they were looked after. And we can see that Jesus is telling us something, not a throwaway line, not at all, that Jesus is teaching us how to love by the love that he showed her and him in those moments. Those are the two people left, probably because those are the two people who who lost the most when Jesus lost. Jesus' best friend and best disciple, John, and also also his mom. And Jesus teaches them and he teaches us how to love with with four things. Four things, four ways to how to love that, listen, these are impossible. You hear them and, 
and you try to put them into practice. And listen, it is impossible outside of the power and the love of God in your life. The first way that, that Jesus, in his word, his last word on the cross here, woman, here's your son, is just a word about paying attention. Just pay attention. Jesus pays attention. There's a crowd of people all sneering at him, taunting him, probably mocking him, and he calls out his mom. He says, woman, here's your son. And John, the disciple he loved, he calls her, he pays attention to her he notices her now he calls her woman which a lot of people think is is maybe a disrespectful term maybe a derogatory term i don't think so i think that's mistaken because what what are some of his options number one he called he calls her mom like you didn't think she had enough on her heart already like jesus we, we we heard had a lot weighing on his heart you don't think she had a lot on her heart as well watching her son give up his life on a cross to call her mom just adds on to the grief that she's already experienced. It may have just broke her right there. You can't call her mom. He calls her, calls her Mary. The reason why everybody is around there is gathered around is to mock him, is to taunt him, is to make fun of him, is to add on to and into his humiliation. And he's going to identify her in the crowd. Oh yeah, she's with me. That's Mary right there. You don't think the crowd would have turned on her as well? The word woman that was used here is not a disrespectful, it's not a derogatory term in any way. The word woman that's used here is, is, is a, it's a word of respect. A closest translation we could get was something like madam. That at the moment that Jesus is descending into agony, he is lifting her up. It's a word about love paying attention and noticing. Even with everything going on, he still pays attention. He still notices. Somebody told me one time that your attention is your time. And your time, the most valuable resource you have, and for the most part, we all have about the same amount and we can't buy more of it. Your time is your life. Jesus recognizes your attention is your time and your time is your life and he's got just a little bit of it left and what he has left, he gives, he pours out to his mom by paying attention. We pay attention. That's how we love. The second thing, Jesus meets her need. I mean, there's, there's layers onto this thing that, that Jesus, he, she needs a place to stay. She needs somebody to look after her. She needs a roof over her head. And so Jesus provides this for her. He doesn't have a lot. In fact, he has almost nothing. He doesn't have any clothes. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have much in the way of resources whatsoever. The only thing he has hanging on the cross naked is a good friend and disciple, John, sitting there right in front of him. And what he has, he gives to his mom, who can in no way pay back what he just did for her. On a physical level, he meets her need. That's the thing about love, is that you don't, is that you don't know that you love someone or something. If it can still, she can still, he can still pay you back. Because you don't know if you love that person, or if you're just waiting to get paid back from that person. And what Jesus does on the cross in meeting this need, he knows he can't get paid back. It's like you have a car that you love. 
Because of how big it is, because of how powerful it is, because of how sleek it is, or how fast it is, or how paid off it is, it doesn't matter. You have a car that you love, right up until the point that it strands you on I-96 twice in the same week, right up until the point that it doesn't start four times in one week. Then you don't love the car so much anymore. Why? Because you never loved the car. You loved what the car did for you. And now Jesus on the cross. He loves by meeting our needs. Not even a surface need of a roof over our head, but a spiritual home to live in. He meets our needs in the forgiveness of sins, and we have nothing to offer him in return except for the sin that made it necessary to put him on the cross in the first place. What does love look like? How do we love? We pay attention. We meet a need. We show up. You know how Jesus shows up for his mom in those moments and recognizing her and calling on her? She shows up for her son hanging on the cross. John shows up for his master, for his rabbi and friend. He shows up for his rabbi's mom sitting next to her. They show up for each other. Have you ever thought about this story and heard this story from the perspective of Mary showing up that day for her son, Jesus? Like we think, what, what agony it would have been to watch as your son is crucified on a cross, watching, watching the pain and the tormented expression on your boy's face. But listen, her whole life was that agony. Her whole life was that pain. Her whole life, the the pain started when she was a teenager and unmarried. And an angel comes to her and says, you're pregnant and your child is the son of God. And you don't think the rumors and the gossip started following about that? She gives birth to God in a stable. And then only a little while after that, an angel comes and says, you got to get out of here. Herod is killing all of the baby boys because your child had the audacity to be born. And so you need to now flee to Egypt. And she runs away to Egypt and waits it out, all the while knowing that it was the, it was the birth of her son that necessitated the loss of life of those innocent ones. She carries that with her. Her whole life has been pain. Her whole life is agony. She gets back, and everybody knew that Jesus was a little bit different. And some people loved him for it, and others loathed him for it. And at one point, those who loathed gathered up together and they decided they've had enough with Jesus and so, they, and so they gang up on him and they try to push him off a cliff. Let me ask you something. If you're married, how do you talk to your neighbors after they tried to kill your son? And now staring up, she was there for Jesus. He shows up for her. Do we show up? Love shows up. Do we show up? You show up for your kid being crucified on the playground? You show up for your best friend having an excruciating time at work? You show up? Love shows up. And not just for family either, like what happened with Mary and his, and his mom. And we said that Jesus meets a need for Mary, a roof over her head, but it was deeper than that. 
You know, Jesus, Jesus was the oldest, so it was his responsibility to make sure that his mom got cared for. But the thing about Jesus was that he had other options to choose for, from for the care of his mom. In fact, Jesus had four younger brothers and two younger sisters. And he doesn't ask any one of them to care after their mom now that he's gone. Why? Because Jesus is looking after not just her physical needs, he's looking after her highest, her deepest need as well. Because at that point, at this point in the story, they're not yet Christians. They're not believers. And so Jesus is looking after not just putting a roof over her head, but a spiritual home for her to reside in. And so he knows that the only person who can do that, who can provide that, is his disciple, John. Love pays attention. Love meets in need. Love shows up. And the hardest one, the most difficult one, is that love sees pain even when the one who loves is in pain. Guys, church, I, lo I love you. And I care about you and I think about you a lot. But not all the time. Because sometimes when I'm working on a project and I'll get the hammer out and I'll get the nail out, and I'll try to put the two and two together, and they're supposed to connect, but I'll, I'll drop the hammer as I'm holding the nail, and because I'm not very good and I don't do this very often, I'll hit something, all right? And when that, that hammer connects with my squishy thumb, the only thing that I can think about in the universe is just that pain. That's it. And that's, for the most part, that's what pain does to us. Pain makes us blind to anything else that is happening. When we carry pain around with us, it creates a selfish person. Because the only thing we can think about in pain is our own pain. But Jesus, Jesus on the cross, with a heavy heart, physically and emotionally, that he was going, but he was carrying around, he has the capacity, even through it all, to see the pain in his accuser's eyes, to see the pain in the one who put him on the cross to see the pain in his mom, to see the pain in the disciple that he loved, to see your pain and to see my pain and everything that separates us from the love of God, he sees it. Even though he's being tormented at the same time. Jesus sees the pain of even the very, very worst. That passage that we heard earlier, it, it strikes me. That Jesus, gathering with his close friends and disciples in that upstairs apartment on the night before this happened, on Thursday night, he knew that it was the last meal he had before his death. And he chose to spend it with his betrayer. That's love. And listen, some of you are carrying around an immense amount of pain because of the loss that you've experienced. Or because of the hurt. And there's nothing that I can say that is going to make that better or go away. So I'd just like to leave you with this. That on Resurrection Sunday... We have an empty grave that said that God can do something about that. 
But here tonight, on Good Friday, we look at a cross and we see that God cares. He sees your pain and even in his own, he cares. He loves you to death. And he did it so that he can spend eternity with you. And I can't think of a more fitting response than for us just to simply accept his invitation to be with him. So what I'd like for us to do as a community, church here in our Kenwood Auditorium, church online as well, is to accept this invitation and participate in that last supper with him. Uh, Just some notes on how this is going to happen. If you're at home watching online, this is the time to get your elements out. Uh, Bread and crackers, juice and uh, water, whatever you have available. A tangible reminder of the tangible sacrifice of God on the cross. If you're here in our Kentwood Auditorium, you received um, one of these single-serve communion packets when you came in today. Um, Just a note on those. Open up the top layer first to access the cracker. Hold that in your hand for just a moment and then open the bottom layer where you can access the juice as well. We're going to do something that we don't normally do. We're all going to take communion together as a radical demonstration of our unity especially as we're spread out around the region, around the area. Some of you are wondering, is this even for me? Like, this is my first time here. This is my first time doing communion. I I don't know. I don't don't even, I don't know even what I don't know. I don't know everything there is to know about God. I don't know everything there is to know about the love of God or the sacrifice for our sins on the cross 2,000 years ago. I don't, I don't know. All I know, and here's the thing, all I know is that I see the love that is in Jesus Christ and I see the love of God and I want that in my life and I want to be able to share that love with the people that God put in my life. And if that's you, if you just see that love of God and you want that for somebody else, just take communion with us and celebrate this sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins with us. I'm going to read these words from 1 Corinthians that we read on occasion when we celebrate this act, this last supper together. And after I'm finished, we'll have a moment and we'll all take it together and end the story of the death of Christ. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread And breaking it, he said, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of my new covenant, this new command that I give you to love one another. Do this in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the death of Christ until he comes again. 
These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take, eat, remember, and believe. continue on in the story now. John 19, the very next verse. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished! And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.